Today's reading is from Mark chapter 12. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and beside him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any questions. While Jesus was teaching in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, by the spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how can he be his son? And the large crowd, large crowd was listening to him with delight. As he taught, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowds putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The Gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Oh, don't worry about that. You're good. Grace and peace this morning. As part of my training to become a pastor, I served as a chaplain in a hospital one summer. Everything was up for grabs when I'd walk into a stranger's room. I'd encounter people of many different faiths or people with no faith at all. Some people knew very much what they believed and some weren't quite sure. This was a problem for me. How could I provide good spiritual care to people with spiritual beliefs that were unfamiliar to me or unknown even to them? My supervisor gave me some good advice. She said, 
figure out what's closest to that person's heart. What are they hopeful for? What do they fear? What can't they live without? If you find what they're depending on, you are very close to what God is for them. Now, she may not have known it, but she was basically quoting Martin Luther. Luther, in his explanation of the first of the Ten Commandments, which is, you shall have no other gods before me, said this, anything on which your heart relies and depends, I say that is really your God. Whatever we truly give our hearts to is our God. Now, it could, of course, be God that we give our hearts to, but it could be something else, too. This world is filled with so many things that we throw our hearts at foolishly, expecting that they'll make us whole. I could easily make this a sermon on wealth or status or the pressure to appear productive or guns or the need to be more right about something than your neighbor. But look at the text today. Can you figure out what the thing is in the story that people are putting their trust in and giving their heart to? Can you figure out what the God is in today's gospel? You might miss it, The Gospel of Mark is clever and requires close reading. Take a look at the first story. A scribe comes to Jesus and asks him what the first commandment is. He's not quizzing Jesus on which commandment is number one in the Ten Commandments. He's asking Jesus for wisdom. Out of all the directives from God in all the books in the Hebrew Scriptures, which one is the most important Which one is the most central? Jesus answers him by quoting the book of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And for good measure, Jesus adds a quote from the book of Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the scribe agrees with Jesus, and for good measure, he comments further, saying, This is much more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And Jesus agrees with him, and for good measure, Jesus says to the man, You are not far off from the kingdom of God. And they high-five, and the credits start to roll. But wait, rewind the tape a little bit. Zoom out a little bit. Did you notice where they are while they're talking about the futility of burnt offerings and sacrifices? Oh, they're at the temple in Jerusalem, the place where people are literally offering burnt offerings and sacrifices, like right in front of them. Religion. Religion is the God in this story that we give our hearts to that is not actually God. We've seen this happen 
each of us in our own way, haven't we? Where churches or religious people have made what they do and how they do it more important than the God we encounter in scriptures and in the person of Jesus. Heck, half of you are at Mount Olivet because you've left another church that was overly strict or hiding its anxieties by desperately clinging to rituals or where it was more important for people to appear holy than to be loving or where they wanted to build a wall between the church and its business and the community outside. Not that we're any better here, by the way. We just go about idolizing church in a different way. Like, did you know this? When Lutheran pastors get together and talk about our churches, the very first thing we do is talk about how many people are at worship each week. Not how our congregations are loving God with heart and soul and mind and strength, which Jesus seems to think is important, not how our congregations are loving, loving neighbors as ourselves, which Jesus also seems to think is worth noting. We talk about how many people are coming to show up to our stuff, our budgets, our building expansions, how many burnt sacrifices and offerings we're getting. Religion has a really tricky task. It's got to point us to God without becoming the God we give our heart to. It's especially tricky because religion can look a lot like other parts of our lives. I usually go uh, to Hy-Vee on my way home from church on Sundays, and recently it struck me how similar the experience there is to worship here. I'm around other people, and I can talk to them if I want, but usually I don't. There's a pattern to where I park and which aisles I visit. They give you a small piece of bread. <laughs> and there's even this call and response thing I do with the cashier that's as ritualized as any prayer we say here. How are you? Did you find everything all right? Do you have a Fuel Saver Rewards card? <laughs> Thanks, have a great afternoon, go in peace, serve the Lord. <laughs> okay, maybe not that last part, right? But, but you get it. It's easy to think of coming to church as running an errand, checking off another item on your list. You go to the grocery store to get food. You go to the gym to get your needs met for physical exercise. You take your car into the shop to maintain fresh oil. And you go to church to take care of the God part of your life. It's a transaction. You put something in and hope to get something out. And then the exchange is over. Or in the story this morning at the temple, you trade your burnt offering in for a blessing from God. But that's not what Jesus says is the point, is it? We're not in this thing together to get our spiritual needs met and arrange this place so that we can get them met most efficiently. 
We're in this church together so that we can love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and so that we can love our neighbors as ourselves. When we think that interacting with God is predictable, like a transaction, and that it only happens here, and that it only affects one part of us, then we've made religion, rather than God, our God. A transactional church misses the living God in our midst. God is not about transaction and a tidy exchange. God is about conversion. Now, conversion, it's not necessarily a one-time moment where you realize God's powerful presence in your life and commit to following Jesus, though that does happen for some of us. Conversion is a life long process of learning to live a life before God that is whole and full and true. You are never done converting. Conversion is integrating your life so that you are able to see God's steady presence with you in all places. It's a lot more complicated and messy than a transactional relationship with God, which we can control and segment and understand. But if God is to be the one we give our hearts to and depend on, then our faith life must be as deep and bold and far-reaching as the God who inspires it. And that's the difference, ultimately, between this place and a grocery store. This is a place that we set aside and dedicate to bringing us into the presence of the living God together and to proclaim that God not only lives, but has claimed you, forgiven you, is at work in your life, and not only is alive here, but is everywhere in the world, constantly issuing us invitations to show love and seek healing and live abundantly. So if you're going to try to love the God we encounter in Scripture and in Jesus with heart and soul and mind and strength, you don't get to have one part of your life neatly roped off and reserved for filling your religious needs. You don't only get to think about God when you come here. You can't have your work life, your home life, and your spiritual life as though they're separate courses on your plate. It doesn't work that way. God is in all of it. God is like that kid who mixes the meat and the mashed potatoes and the gravy all together on one plate. When you show up here, I hope you feel like you don't know what is going to happen to you. That this isn't a place where you can count on a steady transaction. It's a place for God to convert you 
more deeply to a way of love in the entirety of your life, stirring up change in yourself that you never could have predicted. And when you leave here, the work of conversion is just beginning. This place is just for lighting the fuse. You live out the dynamite in your own life. I'm going to end this sermon with a letter. Our fifth through seventh graders this past week wrote their state representatives to voice their support for affordable housing in this state. One 11-year-old um, son on the back of the page, true 11-year-old style, wrote this. Last year at my church, I volunteered to help homeless families while they stayed in our church building through a program called Families Moving Forward. It was cool to see how excited it made these kids feel about simply getting a place to sleep. I would have never imagined that something so necessary was so, so, so appreciated. I wouldn't think that something that I don't think about so much or take for granted is so precious for some people. It should be normal and necessary for everyone to have a home. This girl didn't let her volunteer time at church just check off an item on her list or fill a quota of moral deeds she felt she needed to do. This wasn't a transaction she walked away from. She let her experience here creep into her heart. She let it change how she viewed the world. And she let it change her course that she followed in this world, too. That's what conversion looks like. May God work the same in you. Amen.